The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer of the podcast. We've been doing this podcast for over five years, and today's episode is episode number 285. Just a reminder to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star rating so that when people look for help or hope, they can find our podcast and hopefully get that message. Please also subscribe to our YouTube channel and ring the bell so that you can be notified when we put up new videos. Also give our videos a thumbs up once again so people can find us through their Google search. Today we have an interview with a lady named Cheryl Canzanella. After losing her husband to an accidental overdose, Cheryl shares his journey through active addiction, road to recovery, and his final battle lost to overdose. By exposing the horrific realities of the opioid epidemic, her mission is to raise awareness and educate on how the opioid epidemic is not only ripping families apart emotionally, but also financially by diminishing careers and draining financial assets. Without further ado, let's talk to Cheryl Canzanella. Cheryl Canzanella, thank you for being with us today and sharing your story and your husband's story and a different perspective on how this whole opioid epidemic is affecting people. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jenny. Absolutely. So give us, tell us your story. I mean, just as background, where did you grow up? Um, how'd you meet your husband? How did you guys get together and how did he become addicted? Well, um, I can tell you, I, 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 we, we had the fortunate opportunity to cross paths at a very young age, although we, we never even knew it. And, um, we, we connected in, um, in cross paths at, at, at elementary school. And by time we were finding out, you know, that we're getting engaged, uh, we were looking for pictures and it was a day before our engagement party that we found the proof that we knew each other from elementary school and we found a picture of us. So, um, well, that, that was, um, kind of destiny or, you know, meant to be, uh, you know, wedding bliss that, uh, we absolutely loved telling that story. I love that. And, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it was 33 years ago that we crossed paths and we, we, we actually met though in a different city and a different town, a different part of the County. And, um, you know, we worked together at a grocery store and, um, you know, we were friends ever since. Um, and, uh, till, uh, we got married, which was, uh, about 12 years ago. Okay. Was he doing drugs when you guys got married? You know, not that I knew of, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, um, I guess I was kind of naive because I didn't see the signs, uh, growing up I, I, I did not, I, I want to say I was maybe sheltered or I didn't have that lifestyle. I was lucky enough to have, uh, maybe, uh, not being exposed to it personally. So, um, it's, it's interesting, you know, I, we struggled, um, with it. Yet I didn't know I was struggling with it or, or I chose to just look the other way. It's interesting. Looking back, I can see the signs. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure that that's something that many people have um, shared with you in the past is, you know, I can see now all of the red flags. But no, at the time, I, I think I was just 
um, maybe just blowing it off or brushing it off that uh, these weren't actually signs of addiction. Um, but you quickly learn. I was going to um, say, so when did you realize that that's what you were looking at? You know, it, it was interesting. It was um, right before our wedding. Uh, it was actually right after our wedding. Um, we were gone for about two weeks between traveling down. Uh, we live in uh, Northeast Florida and we went down to the Keys to get married and, and in paradise and it's right in our backyard, but we, we took some time. And so on our way back, um, I was eager to get home to see our cats and, and our dogs. And um, he was eager to go to a friend's house and I didn't quite understand why, but um, now I know why, because he had been gone for too long. And uh, so we went about a half an hour out of our way and I realized then something's not really connecting, you know, but I had just committed myself to this man and, um, we realized that, okay, well, I, at least I had started to see some of those signs at that point. Um, and, and it, from what I recall, it just seemed like that it, it was a downward spiral from that point. You know, I, Yep. It, that's interesting. I can see how that would raise a red flag, but it's not always easy to confront someone that you love like that and, and ask the tough questions, which I'm assuming you ultimately had to ask. Oh, absolutely. And it, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I'd like to say things like, you know, I, 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 I'm happy to be here, like sharing these stories with you, Joni, but I mean, and I, I wish I wasn't qualified to share and speak on this subject, but, um, you know, I do appreciate all that you're doing point of no return and, and what you do within the community and sharing these real stories and education, because we really, you know, it doesn't happen overnight right. and we don't necessarily realize it's happening until we're there. And, and now, um, I'm part of a, this community that really no one wants to be part of. Um, and I, and, and I wish the people listening to your podcast right now, they, they could relate. I know they relate to the story, but I wish I, you know, I couldn't relate to their stories, but I do. Right. And, and, and here we are, you know, it's, we worry ourselves sick trying to, you know, look back and think about all the things that we could have, should have done. Um, and, and the things that we were doing or currently doing, like listening to, you know, lies and stories that we know are not true and just eagerly watching for changes in behavior and, and, and knowing that um, we're walking on eggshells and, you know, it just doesn't, it, it, it becomes difficult to figure out what you can and cannot do without, you know, something erupting. Right. And I think that the majority of people want to believe the best in other people, especially someone that they have now invested their heart in and their future in, and you want to believe the best. When did you know, like, for absolute certain that there was a problem? I mean, a major problem. I wish I could say there was one point, but there really isn't. There's a lot of okay. major points. Um, for me, being a professional, um, I'm, I've been in the financial services industry working um, as a financial advisor, working with financial advisors for 23 years. And um, one of the biggest things for me was um, having lunch with one of my associates and um, not having enough money in my bank account to pay for a $30 lunch meal. 
And you didn't know and before you were there, presumably. No, oh. absolutely not. And and so trying to reason and, and the embarrassment and, and the shame from just having a simple lunch and my credit card, or my bank card was, was you know, bouncing. Um, you know, I would say it was, you know, the, the, the fits of rage that you'd experience out of nowhere where, you know, where did this come from? What did I do to cause this? And um, so I don't think there's one point, but, you know, it, it definitely gets to be real when you think of that life that you wanted to build that you both dreamt of. And, you know, the, the family that doesn't exist, you have the house in your mind that was never built and, and the vacations we never, never able to be taken. And, um, you know, I started to feel that it was his fault. You know, he ruined everything. You know, I invested my time, my love, and, you know, and, and he ruined it with his addiction. And, mm. and, 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 and it was interesting to start to see that he wasn't the only one addicted. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I know uh, through listening to your podcast, you've had this story time and again, I, I, I realized I was addicted. Mm. And um, I, I was addicted because I was trying to fix everything. I was addicted to my husband's addiction. Uh, I was addicted to saving him. I was addicted to self-sabotage, uh, pointing the finger. Um, and it's unfortunate, but I realized I was doing a lot more harm than I was good by putting that blame on someone else rather than fixing myself. Right. And, um, yeah, I was like, it was, it's unfortunate because I took every opportunity to find a window to make sure he was aware of that. And mm. I think that was, Ooh, when you start to see this monster come out of yourself, that's mm. a changing point too, of realizing there's an issue and it's not just him. Dan Carity, if I'm being honest, is the new powerful podcast to listen to. Dan is a globe-trotting television personality, a choreographer to stars like Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake, a loving husband and father, and a man struggling with addiction and anxiety. On his podcast, he shares ugly truths from his life in front of and away from the camera, and those of his courageous guests as well from the world of entertainment, sports, media, and medicine, such as NFL player Ryan Leaf, pioneer DJ Don Diablo, actor and comedian Jamie Kennedy, and many more. So check out his new podcast, Dan Carity, If I'm Being Honest, on Spotify, Apple, and Google, or go to his website, www.dancarity.com. That's www.dancarity.com. D-A-N-K-A-R-A-T-Y dot com. It's me too. Yep. Um, wow. You know, just to want someone to hurt as much as you do, is just a horrible feeling. But I get it. I understand it, you know. So did he go into treatment at some point? Uh, yeah. I mean, he. we did several treatments. Um, uh, it was, it was a difficult thing to find, um, you know, again, being in the financial industry, I didn't necessarily work with the health insurance side of things. Um, but you know, I could figure things out and, you know, I had plenty of resources to ask people. Um, but we really ended up funding a lot of his treatment on our own, uh, because we couldn't figure out how to get help from insurance companies. And, and the, if we had insurance coverage at that time or if we didn't, but yeah, several attempts. 
And and, um, and I'm sorry, just to backtrack, what was his drug of choice? Was it opioids? Opioids. Opioids. It started and 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 it started with a uh, a pain, um, you know, back pain and injury, and of course spiraled out of control. Uh, there were times when I mean he was going to the dentist for having dental work done, and I remember him getting mad at the dentist because the pain pills they were offering they were not enough or he wanted more. And I kept mm-hmm. thinking, wow, that's interesting because I, you know, I would think that that's supposed to be a very mild, uh, you know, form of surgery or whatnot. And, and um, I would think that that would be a short recovery time. You know, you're not being hospitalized for going to the dentist. Um, but I remember seeing these arguments and him getting flared up about a toothache. Mm. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, it started with a, 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 a an injury, and it soon spiraled out of control. Understood. Okay, so how many treatment programs did he go through? Mm. Um, not enough. Uh, what we realized, we, we tried in-person, we tried outpatient, uh, uh, inpatient, outpatient. We tried um, uh, N.A., uh, he did not, you know, there was lots of excuses. He could pull them out of his pocket all day long um, on why these treatments weren't right for him. Um, but it, it's interesting that it, these treatment centers just look for 30 days worth of treatment. And uh-huh. we know that it takes 12 to 14 months just to try to get this completely out of your system. Um and and 30 days is not enough. Well, and, and it's and it's different for everybody, you know? I and mean, that's true. It, you can't pigeonhole people's addiction into 28 days. You just can't do it. There may be less than 1% that could come through in 28 days and be clean and sober. But that's a really small percentage, you know? And the majority need more time because as we've talked about, and you've heard this, if you've listened to our podcast, you're talking about physical addiction, you're talking about mental addiction, and you're talking about spiritual addiction. It's all three aspects. And very few people can handle that in 28 days. So anyway, sorry. So Well, you're, and you're right, because I think it's something, if I can't expect him to, to be able to do this in 30 days, what am I expecting of myself? You know, am I able to make a change in 30 days? I mean, what did they say about a habit? It just takes 30 days for us to just create a good habit or to keep a habit. Um, You know, it takes, I mean, you can't expect someone that has been mind, their mind has been changed and chemically changed to make a change in 30 days. Mm -mm. No. Um, So, And and, and that's education. Yeah. Yeah. That I didn't have. So how how many programs did he do? Do you remember? Well, and I say not enough because it really wasn't enough by the time um, we went. He was in and out of several programs, uh, okay. maybe five or six times. Okay. Um, uh, and and it, whether or not he actually did it to full 30 days, no. Um, or I don't think there was even one program where he actually stayed the the committed or the goal of whatever that, that the end program was. Understood. Did he did he himself feel like he needed help and this was something that he really needed to handle? It, it's interesting, you know, uh, there he he became a shell of the person that I knew. Um and but he you know, I know everyone's like, "Oh, you know, he's he's no longer the person you know." But I I think deep down he was still there. 
And it, it just was trying to uncover to get to that point. And um, so there was many occasions where I would hear how much he hated his life and how much he hated this. Yet there were times when you would see the real Colin, you'd see the real him and he would break down and he would share that um, he did need help and he wanted help. Um, he, he hated the person he was and because he didn't want to hurt his loved ones. He didn't want to hurt myself, his family, and, and let other people down. That's not the type of person that he was. It's not the guy that I fell in love with. Right. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, he, he, he absolutely did ask for help. And, okay. and as someone that loves someone going through addiction, you'll drop everything you can to help that person. And yep. that's not just your time, but also your money. Yeah. And you guys didn't and have kids, no right? No kids. Um, okay. You know, and, and that's something we wanted kids before we were 30. And then next thing you know, we're <laughs> well into uh, our late 30s um, going through this before, you know, he uh, passed away. So we, we never had a chance to do that. And that was one of our dreams that we had together, but never came to fruition. I'm really sorry. And I'm sorry he didn't make it. Were, what was the circumstance of his overdose? If you can talk about um, that. Yeah, yeah. So it it, it was something that um, I traveled and I was out. Um, and of course, you know, just like many other people, I tried to control things. I tried to, to, to fix things. I tried loving him through it. I tried... Um, ignoring it, tried fighting it, you know, protecting him, hiding it. Um, but sometimes when I wasn't there, it was hard for me to have some of what I thought was control. Um, so it was his second time um, being revived by Narcan. Both times I was not there. And um, although they revived him, uh, he didn't make it. Um, mm. And And so... Um, or at least they tried to revive him and, uh, I was not home. So when I did get home, he was supposed to pick me up and, um, he never came and I called, called around. I knew the drill and anyone, you know, going through this knows the drill. You are a detective, you are researching call logs, bank statements, you know, so I knew the drill. And of course my heart raced and started making phone calls, looking, I, Drove around. He had my car, so I I, um, I drove around. I, I I borrowed a car and I just frantically in the morning started driving around, and um, could not find him. So I went back uh, to my parents' house and started making phone calls to hospitals. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name. Or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, 
has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. And that's where I found it. And um, it was, they, all they could tell me was that I had to come in to the hospital. But you know. And uh, yeah, I knew. And um, so, yeah, from there it was just a a bunch of shock and um, yeah, I'm I'm just lucky I had support around me. Yeah, I'm just so sorry. I mean, you know, it's why we do this podcast. We really don't want people such as yourself to lose a spouse or a child or a parent. It's just, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have to be that way. So what do you do at that point? Um, I would assume that he had somewhat decimated your bank accounts. Yeah, it was not only costly going through the addiction itself, but it's costly trying to 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 work through it and go through the um, the the uh, the counseling, the therapy, the um, and so yeah, it was um, it was devastating. And um, you know, one of the things being in the financial services industry for twenty three years, I um, you know, I own everything that I sell, which means I, I own things like life insurance. I help people plan their legacies. I, I um, certainly didn't want anyone in my industry to know what was going on. So it was kept very quiet. Um, last thing I wanted to know is that we could barely keep our head above water. And when it came to financing, as I'm working with other people's finances. Um, but, you know, it, it's interesting. I, 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 I found a purpose through all of this chaos and and that was to make sure people weren't going to go through what we went through and um financially um i i own everything i sell Mm -hmm. but when he passed away he did not have life insurance and um would it have would would life insurance have covered that type of death yeah there's um yeah, there. So there's um, a thing called a suicide clause after two years. Now, okay. if it was ruled a suicide, um, okay. it may not have been covered, but um, that's a two-year limit typically. Okay. Um, but there are other things, and people he didn't qualify. So when we were looking at it, um, that just knowing that there are other options, which there are, but my mind was cloudy. I was not thinking clearly. And and that was the last thing I was thinking of because I th- that wasn't going to happen. It's not going to happen to us. Right. Um, he was going to get better. He's going to get back out there, get a job. He's going to, you know, we're going to get back out into the social life and people are going to see us as my mind saw us living. So, um, yeah, it, it, I, I was lucky I had family to fall back on, but not everyone does. And, right. and, and we were lucky enough not to have children. I say lucky enough, but we were, I was lucky enough to be in a situation where I didn't have to provide for other people. Right. Financially, um, you were fortunate. Financially. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I, but others don't have that. I, and option. I was going to say, so when you, when you talk to people, cause I know you're a public speaker and I know you go out and you talk to people, 
What are some of the things that you tell people going through this type of situation? Well, one one of the things is is understanding that you know this is not just something that happens to us emotionally, physically, spiritually, but also financially. And so when he, this happened, and I realized that um, all I received from his death as far as monetary purposes was a check for $255 from social security. Um, I started to think of all the other people that are going through something like this and, and this could dev- devastate their lives. You know, I, I, I worked in sales. I had my own business. I could take the time I needed to focus on myself, but not everyone can do that. That's right. And, um, and, and not that this is the number one thing, but it, it should be something that you should think about because, it's life. I don't think it's necessarily something that people take into account when they're going through this. Do you know, you, you've got a loved one who's addicted, you know, maybe they're stealing from you. Maybe you have to pay for their, their, um, treatment. And yeah, you know, I don't think it's something that people, and, and if they don't have insurance insurance or if the insurance won't cover the program that they would like to get their loved one into, it's cash out of hand. Out of pocket, I guess, but you know what I mean. Well, and and we were certainly doing that. I mean, it was, you know, we were paying out of pocket for services and um, we had that capability, but not everyone does. And (laughs) so um, what I realized when he passed away, I remember calling up um, uh, one of my partners that I worked with at the firm and I said, I have an opportunity to share this on on, on the news and, and, and mind you, I hadn't spoken about this to anyone except for very, very close people. And, and even if they, some people knew there was an issue, but they didn't know the issue. Um, I said, I have an opportunity to get on the radio or, or the, the new, the local news station. And do you think this is career suicide? And, and I really had to think about this because, you know, this could be taken the wrong way and people could just never talk to me again. But I, I felt this overwhelming urge to, no longer stay silent and to help people that were struggling through this that had no voice, very similar to what I was going through before. And, and um, I, I felt a need to be able to share that he passed away. And I didn't want people to remember how he left us. I wanted people to remember who he truly was mm-hmm. and, and, and that he was a real person. He was someone I fell in love with and, and that um, people do go through um you know, uh, it's not just the person going through the addiction, it's their families. Right. And and every person that's going suffering through this and battling through this has a family. Mm-hmm. And, and this whole opioid crisis is disrupting um, us, uh, not only just as a, a, in, within our families, but as a nation. And it's, it's, we're in a time where it's really affecting people, their employment, their overall health, the society. Yep. finances, life expectancy, um, it, 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 it affects people at all levels in, in, in the communities. And um, I just felt like it was a time that I needed to share and start speaking out to be that voice. Yep. And I appreciate that because you are obviously a, uh, quite the professional in your field, in your industry, and you have firsthand experience on a situation like this. And I would imagine that there are not many people in your type of position work-wise 
who would come clean, I don't mean come clean, it's not that, you know what I mean, who would be open about this, let me say it that way, do you know, because of how it could affect them career-wise or financially or, yeah, I, I, I well, applaud you for coming forth and doing it because it, you, you know, it, it wasn't financial suicide or career suicide, but it might have been, you know, you took a chance. Well, it's a very real question. I mean, it's the questions people have to face. Um, and, and what I found is it, this is affecting many people in my mm. industry. I work with financial advisors and, and I've taken it a step further to say, I want to start educating them on what this opioid epidemic is. And there was a Pew study done not too long ago where they talked to financial planners, financial advisors, and, and they found that 50% of them had clients that were affected by substance abuse. And um, I personally think that number is probably a lot higher um, but they just, advisors don't typically know that it's going on. And that's because people like myself that are going through it are shame. There, there, there's fear. They don't want anyone to know. Um, and, and they don't think it's their place. Why would I tell my financial advisor about this? Um, so I think the number is a lot higher than what the Pew study showed and clients are just, they're, they're, they're in denial themselves sometimes, so they don't want to share. Um, so I took it upon, like, I want to, to get out there. The goal is to educate advisors on some of the red flags to look for. How do they have the conversation? So it's understanding what they can do to help and the financial strategies that can help individuals going through this and, and vice versa to educate clients and consumers and in our community on the importance of talking to your financial advisor because it's not just about protecting your assets and it's about protecting the life of your loved one. Because if something happens to you and you don't have proper uh, financial plans set up and systems in place like trusts and you could be handing your son or daughter a, a, a death certificate with, with your legacy. Yep. Um, and that's not something that, you as an advisor, you know, they, they want to see any time. Right. Uh, forget saving the assets. It's about saving a life sometimes. Right. Right. I applaud you for being open and for doing what you're doing. I think it is an aspect about this opioid epidemic that is not um, considered much of the time and yet is as important as treatment, because you, you, the financial burden on a family who has an addicted family member is, I, I just, I can only imagine, I haven't gone through it myself, but I can only imagine what that is. And so and the fact that you're shedding, that. Light, yeah, and the fact that you're shedding light on it and educating people about it, I think it's huge. So if someone wanted um, you to come and speak, or, um, even if they wanted you to be their financial advisor, how would people find you? Well, my website is my name, Cheryl Canzanella.com. Okay. And so um, we're revamping that website now, but um, they can certainly reach out to me. And, 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 and I do work with financial advisors and educating them. There are many out there that have experienced this with their clients. Um, very few are talking about it. Um, some are talking about it 
there are a good amount of people who have, are actually speaking up about it because it's touched them personally or they've had a number of clients go through it. But it's important to talk to your advisor and I can help direct you to those individuals that are that are understanding. No judgment. You know, you can come to them. You, you know, many feel like they might be a failure as a parent or uh, feel like they have failed a, a financial plan. It, there's no judgment when it comes to this um, with the advisors we work with to be able to help um, and be supportive through things like this because um, sound financial advice at a time when everything else is chaos and your cloudy way of thinking is 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 invaluable. You know, I, I, I often, people often think, when you think of the opioid epidemic, they often think of the, the destitute you know, those that are maybe begging for money out on the streets or, or living in abandoned buildings. But it's often, um, you know, you've got people that are the rich and famous that have plenty of assets. They have plenty of time to um, focus on recovery for themselves. They don't have to worry about keeping food on the table or keeping the lights on and going to work. Um, and even they are losing this battle. Yep. So it's important to know that it's affecting people at all levels and, and even the affluent and the wealthy are hit hard by this because one, they can do everything they can to sweep it under the rug and not address it. And um, just as quickly their, their wealth can diminish um, by attempting things like this and not communicating or talking about it. So it's everyone in between from the destitute to the rich and famous and the wealthy that are affected. Yep. And that includes Main Street America. Yep. You're absolutely right. Cheryl, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for telling your story. And, um, yes, I will put your contact information up. I usually do a little slide with that in there. Once again, if you um, need to reach Cheryl to just get a referral, it's Cheryl Kenzanella, just exactly like it sounds, Kenzanella.com. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Thank you, Joni. Thank you for listening. We had a nice chat with um, Cheryl before we let her go. And just to give you a happy ending, she has remarried and her husband died five years ago. She's remarried and she is expecting their first child, a boy, in September. So just to end on a happier note. I do think that what she talks about is different than anybody else we've had on the podcast. If you have a loved one going through addiction and you have assets and you are using those assets to help your loved one in addiction, you might want to talk to your financial planner and maybe put some things in place so as to not end up destitute at the end of such a situation. We hope that this helped you. We hope that it gave you maybe some kind of hope. And we'll be back again next week with an interview. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.